This morning's Bible reading is is from Revelation uh, chapter 2 and we're reading verses 18 to 29. To the angel of the church in Theatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Theatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learnt Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, Heather. Good morning, everyone. My, uh, my name's Jack. If I haven't met you before, I'm one of the pastors here. Don't love just like really easy passages to be able to look at on a Sunday morning. It's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, Dan Eckerman and, uh, and Pete Clark, they were, they were at my place a few Monday nights ago. And, uh, and as they were leaving, one of them made this really astute observation. Uh, they said something along the lines of, um, you seem as though you have a bit of a green thumb. Jack, as I looked out the window at my lawn, which sounds really nice, doesn't it? You kind of go, oh, thank you. It is, it is wonderful. It's a wonderful compliment, isn't it? But if you've ever seen the lawn at my place, you'd be able to hear the sarcasm in that statement. You'd realize that actually I do not have a green thumb at all. My lawn is in a general state of disarray. There are weeds kind of everywhere. It's overgrown in really weird patches all over the place. Part of it's died. It's a lawn that, that really should look wonderful that doesn't. Looks like it's headed toward being a very dead lawn. Well, this morning we're, we're looking at a church, Theatira, that, that is heading toward looking just like the lawn at my place. Or really, they're, they're kind of like a whole garden, actually. A, a garden that, that actually looks quite beautiful. But there are weeds in that garden that are growing and that aren't being tended to. And they really need to be tended to because they're threatening to take over the whole thing. Uh, now, thankfully, in Revelation 2, we read of a much more effective gardener than me, uh, one who can clearly see what the problem is and what must be done about it. Now, we're returning to this series after quite a while, but the phrase we've returned to again and again during this series uh, is that Revelation, the book of Revelation, is God opening up a door uh, to give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances. Revelation is God opening up a door to give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances. And for the churches that this letter was written to, well, they were going through some really uh, hard times, or rather the book of Revelation was written to, they were going through some really hard times. 
And they're kind of wondering, like, what's, what's going on? Jesus has, has conquered sin and death, but, but things are still really hard here where we are. So what's happening? Well, Jesus appeared to a guy called John, uh, you can read this in chapter 1, and gave him a revelation, meaning that heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances. And he did it to help those Christians and, to, and us to see that God is in control, to help us see that Jesus really is king, and to help them and us know what it looks like to live in this world while we await our king's return. Uh, so this morning, uh, what is behind the door that we're seeing here, the church of Theatira? It's Carl? No, it's not Carl. It's a good old tub of, uh, of weed and feed. Whatever I need, it's right there. There we go. If you have an outline in front of you, you'll see four points on that outline. The first being, uh, what does he see? Also, you might see some Bibles around the place. If you want to grab one of those as well, if you haven't, and just flick open to Revelation chapter 2, that will be helpful for you as well. What does he see? We read in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. In other words, the words of Jesus who sees all, who sees with the eyes of one who knows what is good and what isn't. And more than that, in verse 23, we read the words, I am he who searches hearts and minds. Uh, Last week, most of our staff team were able to get away to Sydney for a conference called Reach Australia. Uh, But before we uh, we went away on the conference, I was able to spend a couple of nights with a good friend of mine. You might might recognise the name. It was Davo. Got to catch up. Well, I, I slept uh, at his house in the lounge room. Uh, Davo and his, and his wife, Maddie, they have three kids. And one morning, very early, it was still dark outside, I was fast asleep when I heard the kind of like tiny patter of tiny feet running on the floorboards into the lounge room. And I heard that phrase, Uncle Jack! And it woke me up instantly. You know, then we were playing games, we were eating food, watching Bluey, of course, going outside, having a whole lot of fun. And I was reflecting on, uh, on the morning with Davo in the kitchen later on in the day, and, and I was saying, um, you know, that was actually quite like a really, a really beautiful moment. It's actually a special treat for me to be woken up that way. Um, but as I, I, I look around this room, I can actually see the same look on a lot of your faces that I did on Davo's face when I said that. I think I, d- I didn't need to be a mind reader to be able to, to search, you know, Davo's mind and know what was on his mind then, or to be able to tell you what he was thinking. I could, I could almost hear the voice in his head saying, yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? But you might think differently after the 500th time, Jack, <laughs> right? Didn't need to be a mind reader. I could guess pretty well what he was thinking. But throughout the Bible, we learn that Jesus, he doesn't just guess at things like I did. He doesn't just have a good intuition for where people are at or for what they're thinking. If you have a Bible in front of you, turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 21 to 22. Uh, We looked at this chapter uh, at TCU Youth last Friday night. Uh, Some Pharisees, some teachers of the law have just heard Jesus say that he, he forgives a man's sins. And we read in verse 21, the Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Jesus doesn't just guess at things or have good intuition. He knows what is happening in each and every one of our hearts. Hearts that desire things and minds that justify the desires we have in different ways. 
Jesus is the one who searches hearts and minds. And more than that, he understands what's going on there. He sees everything on display before him. Nothing is hidden from his gaze, which sees all. But that's not just what we read, is it? It's not all we read in Revelation. We also read of his feet, feet that are like burnished bronze. Uh, If if you were a soldier 2,000 years ago and you had bronze feet, uh, well, you would use those bronze feet to, to crush your enemies beneath your heel. Well, Jesus, the one who sees all, is the one who also has the power to judge all, to distinguish between friend and foe according to what he sees in our hearts. And we can't hide from him. I don't know how you feel about the idea of Jesus looking directly into your heart and your mind this morning, but I would be surprised to know if anyone feels really comfortable having just read this. Maybe you're searching your mind right now and trying to think, like, what, what is there? Jesus searches the hearts and minds of all, and, and he sees what's lurking there in every corner, the good and the bad. The things that we might not even know are there, even the things we desperately try to dress up to look good, so that we ourselves don't have to face the truth about what we might find. That's what he wants the church in Theatira and us to be aware of. He sees everything. There is no hiding from his sight, not this morning, not ever. Well, the church in Theatira, having read this, well, I imagine they would have been feeling quite nervous about what's going to come next, right? What does Jesus see when he looks at them? What's he going to say? Well, firstly, it's actually quite, quite good, isn't it? You kind of breathe out a sigh of relief. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Now, if you could really describe a church as a garden, I think Theatira would be a pretty nice garden. I mean, look at what is growing in that church, the, the kind of fruit that is growing and even flourishing and spreading. Their love, faith, service and perseverance in the hope they have in Christ, all flourishing. Now, whereas Ephesus, you might remember, the church we read of at the start of this series, they were backsliding in terms of their love of Jesus and of each other. Whereas that was happening there, the church in Thyatira is growing enormously as they share with each other, as they care for and love each other, out of a deep-rooted love for and faith in Jesus, their King, the one who loves and cherishes them. It's, It's a beautiful picture. I mean, just imagine a church that welcomes and shares the love of Christ with anyone they come across, who when they see someone in need, just kind of jump straight into action. When they hear of someone who doesn't know that Jesus loves them enough to die for them, they just can't help but share with them how much Jesus does love them. They do that in their words, but also in their deeds and how they act toward them. It's a beautiful picture in this church. Right? It's something to aspire to, Right? But something else we read is happening alongside this good fruit that we see growing, isn't there? See, in the letter to the church in Ephesus, we read about how they were holding on to the truth of Scripture, onto doctrine. They were commended for this. They knew the truth about who God is and what it looks like to follow Jesus. They, they knew and held to the truth, but they'd forgotten all about love. Love for God first and foremost and love for each other. The church in Theatira, it seems like they might have things the other way around. They are filled to the brim with love, which is is great. Their love is still growing, but it seems as though their grip on the truth is slipping. So much so that they are permitting someone in their church to lead people away from God as they teach lies, and no one is telling them not to. 
There are weeds growing, and they need to be dealt with. Point two on your outlines, intolerable tolerance. We read in verse 20 to 21, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. I just want you to imagine that you're in the kitchen one day with a friend. You're making a really nice, tasty banana smoothie in the blender. Now, imagine someone else walks into the kitchen and they just say to your friends, like, did you know you can actually put your hand into a moving blender and nothing will happen, right? Isn't that amazing? And your friend believes them. Uh, are you going to say something? Like, obviously you would. But we, we read that word tolerance in this passage. It's such a key word in today's culture, isn't it? Like, it's judgmental not to tolerate someone, uh, something uh, that someone believes or, or wants to do. But here tolerance is referred to in a really kind of negative light. But why? why? Why in a negative light when tolerance is seen in a good light by the culture around us? Well, the idea behind the word tolerate in this passage is the idea of actually uh, permitting someone to do something, giving them permission. Other translations of this passage actually don't say tolerate, but use the word permit. It's not that there is someone in their midst who just has a diff different set of beliefs or ideas about some things. It's that there is someone in their midst who they are permitting to mislead God's people and turn them from him. They hear her say, put your hand in a blender, and they aren't saying anything about it. Now, if the name Jezebel is ringing a bell for you, it's because she is a, a historical figure from the Old Testament in 1 Kings, you can read about her. Jezebel was once the queen of Israel. She was the daughter of the king of the Sidonians and married Ahab, the king of Israel. Now, she slowly, through influencing her husband, turned the attention of Israel away from God to following the God of her nation, Baal, a false god. She, she murdered Israel's prophets, or at least most of them, so that they wouldn't seek to turn the Israelites back to God. Uh, now, it's highly unlikely that the woman who was in Thyatira was actually named Jezebel. Rather, much like other imagery in the book of Revelation, the name given to her represents a bigger idea, that what happened to the Israelites is now happening in Thyatira through her actions, through the actions of one of the women in their church. History is repeating itself, and the church in Thyatira has, has just allowed it to happen, just like Ahab and the Israelites allowed it to happen in the Old Testament and didn't say anything. But how does that happen? when it seems like things are going really well in that church, and it does seem like things are going really well in that church. I mean, they seem to be growing and, and flourishing. What could cause someone in a church to stay silent when someone else in their church begins living in a way that is against God, that is dangerous for their relationship with Jesus, and that teaches other people that they should do the same? It's a problem of the heart. It's a problem of what our hearts desire. See, every single human heart has been created to love. That's a really good thing. It's the way God created us. Every single one of our hearts are built to love. And what we love, what we desire, that, that drives us. It directs what we choose to do, what we think about, how we justify our actions. It all comes from the heart. And our hearts were created to love God. We were created to live in relationship with God. But if there's one thing the Bible teaches, it's that the human heart 
It's been corrupted by sin. Right? Humanity's desire not to love God, but to love other things. To pursue relationship with the things that God created rather than God himself. Our desires, our loves, have become disordered so that we don't love God the way we're meant to. Instead, we act toward God as though he is our enemy, instead of the one who is worthy of our love, of our adoration, of our affection. Because we buy the lie that we know better than the one who created us. What might cause a church to stay silent when they hear someone teaching that you can live in a way that dishonors God and that leads others away from him I think today the likely cause is a disordered love for comfort. Comfort is such a great thing, right? a thing to be enjoyed. It's wonderful to be able to feel comfortable at home, to be comfortable in a work environment, in, in school or uni setting, but particularly in relationships with those around us. But when that comfort is threatened, our response to that I think can be pretty telling. At least I've seen that in my own life. See, my personality is that I'm a massive people pleaser. I hate the idea that someone might become unhappy with me. And I wonder if the church in Theatira had lots of people pleasers too. You know, people who, when they saw someone doing something dangerous, uh, wouldn't speak up. Who, when they heard teaching that was against God, didn't speak up or do anything uh, because they didn't want to become uncomfortable in those relationships or make people unhappy with them. Maybe that resonates with you here today as well. Maybe you're not a people pleaser, but, but maybe what happened in, in Theatira is that those people in the church who heard those lies about God and saw those people living in a way that was against God, well, they didn't want to go out of their way to correct or rebuke those others because if they did that, then they'd probably have to commit a bit more time to that person. And they couldn't possibly right now because, because time is money because you're saving up for a holiday or because it would mean not enjoying some time sitting out on the deck at home with a glass of wine in your hand in the afternoon. Or maybe because the game starts right after church, and if you don't get to watch it, you'll be grumpy and won't have anything to talk about in the office. I think all of these examples represent different sorts of disordered loves of self, love of comfort before the other and before God, and, and Jesus calls it out. But maybe something else happened in Theatira. Maybe they heard that teaching, saw the way those people were living, and actually in their hearts, they wanted to do the same thing. Actually, we know that that is something that was happening. Because if they're doing it, and someone else is saying God's happy with it, no one's telling them it's wrong, why not? Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with some sin in your life. Maybe something similar to what we read in the passage today. Is it, is it actually uh, adultery? Or are you um, getting, getting closer to, to sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend when you know that's not the way God intended sex to be used? Are you up late at night watching pornography and looking at what you know you shouldn't be looking at? Maybe on, on the other end, you're, you're at work. Maybe you've been, you've been lying or deceiving your boss at work, saying that you've worked hours that you haven't, uh, stealing company time because, because that time is money makes things a little bit easier. We can kind of sneak under the radar. Maybe you're speaking spitefully about someone behind their back and telling them lies about them because when your friend laughs at those people, you feel comfortable, you feel more affirmed, you feel more secure in your job or your friendship circle. 
On the way to the airport on Thursday evening in Sydney, we were driving along and we saw that the lane next to us was a bus lane. Uh, but it was pretty, it was funny kind of, kind of watching that lane because there were not many buses in it. Well, there was car after car after car after car just zooming along it going past us. Then this, this thing happened, right? When all of the cars in the bus lane, they started changing lanes to either side of the bus lane and it just became clear. And we were wondering, like, what is happening? What's going on? But when we, we looked up ahead, we saw a big sign. It said something like bus lane camera. And then the, the penny dropped. We said, oh, of course. <laughs> the cars are getting out of the bus lane to avoid getting a fine. I wonder if you're here today and might be thinking that this is the way that we can treat God. You know, dipping in and out of, of different sins, doing things you know are wrong, but hey, no one sees. I'll just try and duck out of the lane before the camera sees me. Now, I reckon we can all think of how we've done that, even just in the last week. It doesn't work that way, does it? Not when Jesus is the one who searches our minds and our hearts, even now, and sees everything that sits there. You and I, we can't hide a single thing from him. We are stuck in that lane, camera and all. Now, he sees the church in Theatira. He sees the woman referred to as Jezebel. He sees those who are following her, sees their sin. And we read that he will act against it. Verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Jesus says enough is enough to them. The one with eyes blazing like fire, with feet like burnished bronze, he will act in right and good judgment against the sin that he sees. He won't stand for it. In his mercy, he has given time to Jezebel to repent of her ways, but she's not turning away from what she's been doing. She's not responding to that mercy. So we read the place of her idolatry, uh, her bed, will then become the place of judgment, of suffering. And those who follow her lead, they will face Jesus' judgment too. That's what it means when he says he will strike her children dead. Those children are those following her teaching and living the way she's living as well. But we read that Jesus will judge those who have rejected and are living in rebellion against God. Now, what do you do when you're in this kind of position before Jesus, before the just anger and judgment of the God you've rebelled against? There's no way out, is there? No way out, at least, that, that we can get ourselves out of. Uh, but this is the amazing news of the gospel, isn't it? The thing that every single one of us here today needs to know and be reminded of. And it's that the one with eyes like blazing fire and feet like burnished bronze to crush his enemies in judgment... Well, when we were considered his enemies, he didn't treat us like we deserved. Instead, he went to the cross to die, so that on the cross, instead of us being crushed to sin, he was crushed instead. We read in Isaiah 53, that points forward to Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds... We are healed. See, Jesus all along, he's not looking at you and searching your heart 
so that he can kick you out and find things to hold against you. He's looking at you and pleading with you to turn to him because he knows that he's the only way out. Jesus says it in verse 22, repent, turn away from rejecting me. Say sorry to him and he will forgive you. If you haven't done that yet, do it now. Say sorry to Jesus for rejecting him and ask for his forgiveness, trusting that he's the only one who can save you. Say it in your heart right now and know that he forgives. Jesus has highlighted for the church in Theatira the sin that they have welcomed into their church and done nothing about but have been tolerating. He calls for those in the church who have been living in sin to repent. And then he says something else to the church in Theatira. He tells them to hold on. Verse 24, Now I say to the rest of you in Theatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. See, Jezebel came saying that she was a prophet from God. Jesus says, no, she's not a prophet or or the mouthpiece of God. That's what prophets are. She's actually been teaching you how Satan would like to teach you to reject me. Instead of accepting her false teaching, they are to accept what Jesus has already given to them. See, they already have the truth and don't need anyone to come and add anything to it. They have the truth of who Jesus is as the Son of God, the one who takes away their sins. They have God's own words to them in Scripture, just as we have God's own words to us in Scripture. What helps us get to know God more and more, what helps us know what it looks like to live rightly before Him. Just as He knows our heart, Scripture helps us to understand more His heart. It's to be what dictates the kind of teaching allowed in our midst, God's Word and God's Word alone. He has given us everything we could need while we wait for Jesus to return. And that's Jesus' promise to us in these pages, that he will return. The the morning star in verse 28, that's another word for Jesus himself. He will be with us. We will be with him in the new creation when he returns to bring us home. We read of the Holy Spirit in verse 29 who helps us understand or hear God's word and puts it to work in our hearts. And we read that we will one day share in the reign of Jesus, that we will take part in his rule as fellow victors in the new creation, even though we don't really know what that looks like now. Uh, But Jesus says, you don't need any new teaching. You need what you already have, what I've already given you to help you follow me and not let go, to help you spot false teaching when it comes into your midst to help shape your hearts for me instead of against me, to help you understand how destructive and terrible sin is. So don't let go. So finally, point four, priority check. Priority check. What what does it mean for you to hold on to what Jesus has already given to you? I think one of the big things uh, today is to not let sermons or podcasts dictate... um, purely dictate what it is that you know about God. I understand there's a little bit of irony in me saying that, but, but don't let today be the only time you spend reading what Jesus has given to us. He's given us this, the Bible to, to read. It's come from God. It's amazing. Don't just let someone else tell you what it says. 
Read it for yourself. Listening to recorded podcasts and recorded sermons, that can be really great and helpful, but not if the only time you're spending in God's Word is actually just listening to what someone else says about it. The church in Theatira fell into the trap of thinking they didn't need to hold on to it and learn and know the truth. And because they did that, when someone came into their midst saying that they really knew what God wants us to know, they listened. They didn't call them out on their lies. If we ignore God's word and what he's already given us, what's to stop the same thing happening to you and I? In a culture that kind of pushes and pulls constantly against God, he helps us know how not to get caught in its rip and pulled away. Uh, Well, maybe there is some sin that you're clinging on to. Maybe you're finding ways to justify that sin and it's time to realize that you need to repent of it and to let go of it. You're not actually hiding anything from Jesus. He already sees it. But maybe you need help. And if that's you, please know that when you turn to Jesus in repentance, he forgives you. Please know that that sin is a battle for all of us and you're not alone in it. And please know you can reach out for help from your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, we talk about the times when we're struggling at work. We talk about times we're struggling in kind of family life or all sorts of times. We need to talk about when we're struggling with sin because it can just become crushing, can't it? Thinking that you're alone in your struggle against it. You're not. We can help each other ultimately by pointing one another to the love of God and the forgiveness that we have in Christ, not just ignoring sin in ourselves and in others because it might make us feel uncomfortable. If there is a sin that you're clinging on to and it feels like you're beating your head against the bars of a prison, please ask for help. Let's love each other in this, even though it might be uncomfortable. Sin is a destructive weed. Um, Thirdly and finally, let's be willing to love each other and be willing to get out of our comfort zone by having the hard conversations, but not before remembering your need for God's grace as well. See, we're called to love each other and to hold each other to account for how we live as Christians, but not without remembering God's grace to us. So if you think a sister or brother is sliding backwards in their relationship with God, speak up. Tell them you love them, that they need Jesus and that you're worried about them and that what they're doing actually taking them further away from him and why do you do it it's because you want them to stay close to jesus because that's what's best for them and you know from your own life that sin is something that is easy to justify but is always wrong and against god it grows as a weed that if left unattended will only get worse will only get more ugly one of the greatest friendships i have was strengthened when my friend did that for me when he called me out, and I hated hearing it. It really sucked, but he was right. And he did it out of love, and he did it by pointing me to Christ. Because ultimately, he wanted me to follow Jesus. And he got way, way out of his comfort zone. I could see it all over his face. He hated saying what he was saying. But I absolutely love him for it. Now, we have a king who sees into our hearts, but who loves us anyway. A king who was crushed for our sins so that we would not get what we deserve. 
a king who has given us everything we need and more while we wait for him to bring us home. So let's speak to him now and ask him to help us not tolerate sin, but to turn from it and to cling to the Saviour who gives us everything, everything that we need. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of the Gospel. Thank you for the truth of who Jesus is as our Saviour, the one who saves us from our sin and as our King. Lord, please help us um, to reflect on the times in our lives and notice the times in our lives when we uh, do turn from you in sin. Please help us um, in these times, Lord, to repent, to turn to Jesus knowing that we are forgiven. We pray that our sin would not make us flee from you, but that we would flee to you with it, knowing that you're the only one who can deal with it. Lord, please help us to be a church who holds to the truth of your word and does not stray from it, even when that's hard, even when the culture around us pushes and pulls against you. Father, we thank you that we can know that you are here with us. Thank you that we can know of your amazing love for us that you've shown us in your son, Jesus. Help us to love each other by pointing one another always in the good times and the hard toward that amazing reality. Amen.